Great. Hello, everyone. My name is Steph. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to be speaking for the next little while. Um, today's message is called Anger, Sin, and Satan. So that's going to be an interesting one. Um, <laughs> we're right bang in the middle of our series in the book of Ephesians now, and... Um, um, one of the best ways to look at the book of Ephesians is, is um, sit, walk, stand. The first half of the book is really about all that God has done. Um, we really don't feature other than sitting there being blessed abundantly through all that God gives to us in Jesus. And um, in a nutshell, if you're new to church or you're new to the Christian faith, um, just, to, just to really concisely say it, the God that so many People so often say, why doesn't he show himself to us? Has. Um, the God whom so often people say, if only, if only he came and stood right in front of me that we would really know that he's there and what he's like. He has. That's what the coming of Jesus is all about. And, um, and he's proved to be more amazing than we could ever imagine, more compassionate than we might imagine, more truthful, more courageous, uh, more, more tender, um, more unhypocritical, all, all you would long for your king to be. Um, he, Jesus is not more. And, um, and to top it all off, the judge becomes the judged. And he goes to the cross and take, absorbs all of the sin of the world in his own body. The Bible says on the tree. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. So this is an extraordinary message. It's primarily, this is what, this is who he is. This is what he has done and he welcomes us into his victory. And uh, that's the gospel. It's, that's why it's good news. It doesn't start with, this is what you must do. That's not a good news message. Um, that's a bad news message. That's a scary message. That's the, oh no, message. A good news message is he has done it. He has absolutely done everything that he's doing and opens the door wide so that unworthy people can come in and receive grace upon grace upon grace and eternal life for free. Hallelujah. So that's why we're excited about Jesus. Um, the next part of the, of the book of Ephesians is about walk. So how should we walk in the light of this? If we if we've accepted this invitation to come into this amazing victory that Jesus won for us, how do we now live in the light of that? We know that we can't earn his favor. If we could earn his favor, what was the cross all about? The cross, the cross shows not just his love, but our utter helplessness. There's nothing we could have done. So we can't earn his favor. His favor comes to us as a gift. And yet this message is so radical that it must affect everything about our life and the way that we live. So how do we walk in a worthy manner? And we've been starting to delve into that the last few weeks. And uh, uh, Lena did a superb job last week of unpacking what it means to um, put away um, falsehood and speak the truth um, with our, with our neighbour. So I'm going to now um, read the next two verses, Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. It says this, um, the ESV says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That's it. That's the passage. That's the passage today. Very short. Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, a little bit of context. What Paul is doing here is actually quoting directly from a psalm and it's Psalm 4. Psalm 4. Um, it, what's happening is, is that the book of Psalms is a book of songs in the Bible. And um, the writer of the Psalms in Psalm 4 is going through an experience where people are speaking badly of him. 
He says they're trying to turn my honor into shame. They're, 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 he's being spoken about behind, uh, in evil ways, malicious ways. And as you could imagine, if you've experienced that, it's really got into his spirit. And he, and he says this. He says, um, be angry and do not sin. There it is. It's the same phrase. Be angry and do not sin. And then he goes on. He says, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. And as he goes through this journey, he ends up by saying, you've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And he's come through this journey of being gripped with anger, in sense of injustice and rage at what's going on. And, and yet he's kind of he's in, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's walked himself through. And got to a place of both joy and peace. And I want us to look at this subject of anger. I want to start by saying that actually um, anger is central. God's anger is central to God's love in the middle of a broken world. God's anger is central to his love in a broken world. If our world wasn't broken, if our world wasn't full of evil, if it wasn't full of oppression, if it wasn't full of injustice, if it wasn't full of pain, then 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 in order for God to be perfectly loving, he wouldn't need to express manifest experience anger. But because of the way the world is, because of the way creation has gone, the fact that God loves creation means that he experiences anger. And so I want to give us a macro view of anger before we get into how we deal with our own anger. Let's just step back, zoom out and understand anger in the biggest, most macro perspective. Anger is a negative emotion, but not necessarily an unhealthy one. It is negative. You only feel anger when you come up against something that's wrong. (laughs) If nothing was going wrong, you wouldn't feel anger. So So it is a negative emotion, but not always unhealthy and it's really important that you do not you don't immediately lump in something that's negative with being unhealthy because you will end up not being equipped to face a broken world you think why i somehow feel that i don't have the tools i need to deal with life so it's important that we don't just write off anger as sinful in and of itself anger will actually fuel activity in a unique way if you get really angry about something, it can it can drive you towards action, um, which is remarkable. Which it, you could not have had that amount of action if you hadn't been as angry about the situation. It's actually highly motivating, highly motivating. And yet, there's this very very subtle line <laughs> between anger that can really do some amazing things and anger that can really mess up lives. It's a very delicate um, balance, not balance, wrong word. It's a very delicate situation when you come to anger. It's like, whoa, if you think about countries like United States of America, South Africa, two countries that unless there had been appropriate manifestations of anger, those countries now would still be systemically unjust. They would still be at their very core, not just in attitudes, but in the legislation, the laws of the land, unjust and oppressive. But some people got angry. And as a result, were highly motivated. And I'm sure at times crossed the line, but were motivated to see change. So we see whole nations whose trajectory has been changed because of anger in a positive way. 
There are also many, many people on our planet alive today that probably spend their whole life or 23 hours a day in a room not much bigger than a walk-in cupboard because they did not learn how to handle their own anger well. That's now their life for the foreseeable future because they lost it at some point and they did something which, um, which meant that they were then sentenced to life in prison. And then you get the, the, and then you get the ground in between where you get a Nelson Mandela, for example, who did spend 27 years in prison. A just course, justly expressed, well, open for debate, we can talk about it another time. But there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about in this subject. It's a fascinating subject, and I don't want us to just have a one-dimensional view of anger. Anger saved my life. Anger saved my life. Anger saved the world. Anger stopped the baddies. The gospel is as much an expression of God's anger at sin and darkness and the things that threaten his creation as part of the manifestation of his love for his creation. Anger saved my life. God's righteous anger coming out of his love. So let's look at this verse. Be angry, first of all. Now, it's not necessarily a command to be angry, but it is permission to be angry. It may not be a command, but it is permission. I want to look at a few reasons why first, a few bad reasons why we don't get angry. Here's some, here's some bad reasons why we don't get angry. Are you ready for these? Number one, I think if you're here and you're a Christian, not everyone is. Some people just come along to visit and find out more. But if you're here and you're a Christian, then maybe one reason why you don't get angry enough is because your perception is, is that fundamentally what a Christian is, is nice. Fun, you strip it all back. At its heart, it's about being nice. Now, there's nothing wrong with being nice per se. It's better than being nasty. Okay, But at its heart, that's not what being a Christian is about. But if you get into that mentality of just thinking, okay, particularly if you came from a bad background, you know, so you put off all the badness and you're trying to be different now, you're trying to be good and nice now, and you can end up down this road and you think, how did I get here? I've become harmless. Ugh. How did I become this insipid, harmless person? And it can be a wrong view about, about being what a Christian is. They're just nice people. No, there's a lot more to it than that. So not a good reason. Reason number two, the cultural air that we breathe in in this part of the world is all about tolerance. It's all about me, me being cool with you and the way you live and you being cool with me and the way I live. And we're not going to judge each other. And we're not going to do that. But we're just going to be cool with what you're doing. That's your thing, man. You do your thing. I do my thing. We're cool. You're cool with that. I'm cool with you. Cool. You're cool with me. Great. We're cool. And it, it, it's all about tolerance. And so what it means is, is that the moment you see something and you think, that's wrong, straight away the trigger kicks in. Hey, don't be judgmental. Be cool. You've got to be cool with that. Now, no one wants to be a judgmental hypocrite, of course. But there's a place, surely, for saying, that's wrong. Not only is it wrong, that's nasty. Someone's got to do it. What is that? Well, you got to, otherwise you end up, you, that's not good. So we've got to be aware of the fact that the air that we breathe in culturally, it's all about tolerating. Sometimes there's good elements, really good elements to it. Really good elements, but there's elements that aren't so helpful. Third thing is this, which stops us getting angry, is our own imperfections. Because you might get angry about someone doing something and then suddenly you realise, hold on a minute, I did that. <laughs> you were just about to get angry. And it was righteous anger, but you know, the hypocrite in you forgot all of a sudden, very conveniently, that 10 minutes ago or 10 years ago, 
You did the same things like, like bike lanes. When I'm on a bike, you know the bike lanes where, where the pedestrians can walk in them too, or it's just, when I'm on a bike and there's a pedestrian on the bike lane, I'm like, of all the selfish, <laughs> you, you surely can hear me behind you. I don't want to shout, but you know, I do. I get all self-righteous. The next day I happen to be a pedestrian. I find myself wandering in the middle of that bike lane in a world of my own. And then you see, you realize, you think, oh, well, they're on bike, they can go around me, you know. And you think, what, what is that? It's kind of funny, but kind of ugly. When, it, when it's something that suddenly matters to us and our timetable and our, you know, we get really uptight and get, can get really on our high horse about it. Suddenly when we realize our own imperfections, you can just think, oh, do you know what? I'm never going to be angry again. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's just, oh, it's, no, I'm just, I'm too imperfect. But that can, that we, we've got to be able to somehow to learn to express righteous anger whilst recognizing that not doing it in a way that you're putting yourself on higher moral ground. You know, where you're acting like you've never done anything wrong. So you have to own your own imperfections, but you've still got to allow righteous anger to find its way through. The final thing I'd say, and for those of us that are, we would say we are culturally uh, English or culturally uh, in a, in a, of a similar culture, the way we are internally to English, is that we just struggle to express strong emotions per se. We struggle with celebration and joy. We struggle with mourning and, and grieving. We struggle with anger. It's all just a bit too emotional. <laughs> it's just, you know. Chatting to someone um, who I know is from a different culture over Christmas, I said how Christmas was, and you know, it's a different culture, it's a fiery culture, so they're falling out and they're making up, and they're, you know, that's a normal day, you know? Whereas if that's happening to us, English is trauma, it's like, oh no, no, you're a little bit angry with me, I saw it in your eyes, you're a little bit angry. And it's like, I struggle with it. Culture. So there's a lot of reasons why we, we don't get angry, but listen, be angry. You have permission from God to be angry. Jesus gives us some good models of anger. He's our example, right? He goes into the temple. It should be a place of prayer and seeking God. And, and people are just making money and all that sort of stuff out of it. And he gets angry. He turns the tables over. He doesn't just sort of start a kind of speech. He, he turns, he, he kicks them out, you know? And it causes a backlash. Anger always will. It will. You have to be ready. It will cause a backlash. People don't like it. People start questioning him. Who gave you the authority to do this? But we get an example. We have an example in Jesus of, of anger. Now, I'll say some things about this later, which will show us some things, some observations about it, which help us. But there's an example. Also, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, we're told that there was a, a moment where he snorted. It's kind of like a, a, a word that you might use, like a kind of, a, you know, similar like an angry horse or that. <clears throat> he did that before he raised Lazarus from the dead. So he knows he's going to raise him from the dead but when he sees the sadness the mourning and he sees death at work he gets angry because he knows death is an enemy he knows death is not part of God's original creation it's an enemy that came in with sin and will one day be ousted out of creation but he's angry before he raises Lazarus from the dead so we have a wonderful example in Jesus this part of being zealous is to be angry if you are zealous for the Lord and his purposes, it must involve anger. Why? Because people's lives are falling apart. People's lives are being destroyed by sin constantly. And so if you're zealous to see lives restored to the glory of God, you will feel anger. 
Anger is to man. We are to be angry in prayer. We are to be joyful in prayer, but angry in prayer. Are you ever angry in prayer? Do you ever find yourself? It's just, you know, you don't want to say anymore. And sometimes you, that's good. You care. You actually care. (laughs) You know, hallelujah. Sometimes I'm troubled by, by, by how desensitized I wonder I may have become to things. Thank God I want to care more. Now Paul says, for you, we're in a good mind, but you know, when, before God, we're out of our minds. You know, when Paul's before God, he's not, you know, he, he, he holds it together when he's serving people. He wants to make sense. But before God, he's groaning and he's crying out and he's, Lord. Because he cares. He's feeling it. He's a, he's a man who's, who's got the spirit, the fire of God burning in his spirit. It affects who he is on the inside. He's not just a cerebral. He's not just, he's an intelligent man. He uses his mind brilliantly, but he's not just cerebral. His whole being is on fire to see God's glory, which must, God's glory is always equals our good. God's glory always equals restored creation. He longs to see it. He says, we groan inwardly. Just like creation's groaning on tiptoes, waiting to be made brand new. We groan because we've got new life inside of us, but our bodies aren't ready to to handle it yet. We're going to get a new body one day. But in this age, we groan. We're longing for that new life to be fully, fully come to manifestation. Wow. See, that's, that's, that's how he lives. That's Christian living. I don't think we'll see the change that we long for in our own lives and in others. Until there's an anger born out of love. Oh, we go no more. I tell you, if you, maybe you're stuck in a sin and you think, ah, good, keep thinking, ah, and let ah get louder because at some point you'll go, ah, and you'll leave it behind. Yeah. There's something in that. There's a power, a motivating power in that by the Holy Spirit where you suddenly think, no. Maybe it's others that you care for, that you long for, and you don't know what to do about the situation, and yeah, and you just go a prayer, and you find yourself, you cry out and shout before the Lord. You know, that's the very heart, that's God's heart. God, in Isaiah, God's speaking about his own zeal and longing to move out. He says, I'm gasping, pant like a woman in labor. He's just like, rah. So if your spirit lives in you, it will produce a similar effect. It's not tame, not domesticated, it's not... Politically correct, it's life-changing. Be angry. But don't sin. (laughs) James says in the first chapter of his letter, it's a very important verse for us to think about. Maybe those of us who tend to speak before we think, that's one of the most, you know you have different quotes you remember from your childhood. I remember that one a lot from my parents. You didn't think before you spoke. <laughs> I was always saying stuff too quick, and then it's like you realise by the atmosphere that was wrong. <laughs> Something's changed. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. And if you're, if you're a bit fiery, if you're a bit, you know that this for you is something you've got to think about. This is a really important verse in that moment where you're about to pick up the phone, press send on the email, go around that house. Just stop for a moment. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. You have to stop and take time. Say, how much of this is my anger? How much of this is yours? And it's not always easy to know. 
But the line to crossing into sin is a very, very subtle one. And it causes immense, immense damage. So here's some signs that you know it's not good. Number one, outbursts. Galatians 5 says that part of the signs of the flesh, we're talking about the life that's empty of the Holy Spirit, is outbursts of anger. There's no self-control. You just, Wah! that's never good. Here's the point. When Jesus turned the tables over in the temple, he didn't do it in the moment. He went and he saw what was going on. Then he went and made a whip. You can't make a whip if you've lost your temper. <laughs> it's going to keep going wrong, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's not going to work. He's making a whip. It's calculated. He's, think- he's thought it's right. I don't know what he's thinking, but I'm sure he's, you know, he knows by the time he goes and turns those tables over and does the whipping, it's righteous. Tip, don't start whipping. All right, Jesus did it. Exceptional moment. Um, but expression of anger, not an outburst. Self-control through the spirit. And I love the fact that self-control is at the, at, the, at the end of that list in Galatians 5 because you've got love, joy, peace, all these wonderful things. The last one, self-control. And the way I use that is I say, well, if it, I might not be feeling the love. The joy, joy went last week. You know, peace, what's that? But you know what? At the end of the day, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Self-control. Because <laughs> it it's not going to go well. So, now outburst. Number two, if it's, you're looking for revenge, you're going to just make them pay. You're going to know about how much you hurt me. You're going to know about it. That's revenge. That's revenge. That's not righteous anger. Righteous anger is always looking to make the situation right. We're told after he cleared the temple, we're told that the children and the lame and the blind came in and they're singing praises to God. It wasn't revenge. Just get out of here because there's some glory that needs to come here and some lives that need to be restored. So godly anger is always looking for that good goal, that, yeah, that's what we're going for. It's never about, I'm going to make you pay. Vengeance. There's nothing wrong with Vengeance. But it's not ours, it's his. Okay, vengeance is okay, but it's not our job. His job. So part of forgiving people is you release them to the Lord. It's not they've got away with it, God's going to deal with them. He'll do it right. He will get it right. I've got so many blind spots, I'm going to get it wrong. Sinful. Or if you just know, it's just this is injured pride. It's just injured pride. That's what's driving this whole thing here. You know, like Saul... King Saul, we're told that King David was like his protege, if you like. People were singing songs. Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And as he was a king in those days, it was good to be a warrior. So Saul hears this song and his pride is injured and he's like, right. And he, he gets into this kind of bitter, resentful, and it becomes demonic. It becomes just the man is a lost cause. He ends his life seeking out mediums and into all kinds of darkness. But that's where you see this, you see the start of trouble. Actually, to be honest, there was stuff before that. But part of it was this injured pride. Um, or here's one. Here's sinful anger is sulking and disengagement. That, that, sulking is anger. It's just expressed in a different way. You might not be tearing the house down, but you're not playing anymore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you ain't playing no more. That's anger. That's how you express your anger. It's sinful. Why? Because that will never produce a solution. Any sulkers in the room, you've got to put your hand up. I was terrible as a kid. Terrible sulker. Yeah, but it's just 
it's just a horrible thing because there's no solution. The whole air has just been turned nasty and no one, <laughs> we don't know what to do. No one's shouting, but this is not good. Sinful expressions. Um, bitterness. If you let, allow a bitter root to grow up in your spirit and you Oh, yes, this is, this is, this is the results of sinful anger. This, this is how you, this is when you know it's gone, it's gone bad. Don't sin. And he says, he, he says, he says, don't let the sun go down on, on, on your anger. This is a fascinating, a fascinating, um, encouragement. There's, throughout the Bible, you'll find that, the, the, you know, pay the laborer his wage before the sun sets. And, um, if, if you've taken someone's cloak and kind of like a pledge, give it back before sunset because it's got to keep him warm. There's something about that moment, that kind of sunset moment, you know, for the Hebrew people, that's when the day ended and started, wasn't it? In the evening, sunset. And it's like, listen, there's a new day coming. Don't drag this into that day. Don't, there's this, there's this fascinating uh, language, do not let. Do not let. There's something, there's something I can permit, and there's something I can say, do you know what? That's not happening. And as much as I want to lie in my bed all night chewing over how wronged I've been, and how I'm going to put this right, actually, it's going to do something quite sinister. It says that you'll give the devil an opportunity. The actual word there is you'll give him a place. You'll give him a place in your life from which he can operate. Please hear this. If you hold on to this kind of resentment, anger, stuff chewing you up on the inside, if you hold on to that and take it through to the next day, you're doing something in the spirit realm. You're actually doing something that is taken noted of in the unseen realm. You are giving the darkness a place in your life from which to operate. That's not good. Because you open yourself up to all kinds of everything. Suddenly you think, man alive, it's got a thousand times worse over one day. I'm now confused and tormented. And what is that? Now I'm, what's happened here? You're giving the devil a place. And when you do that, I'm not trying to just put, put the frighteners on you. I'm just saying this is what the Bible teaches. That, now you think, well, why, why is it such a, why is it so in the spirit? Why is it so powerful? Here's why. Because to hold on to anger is a really anti-gospel thing to do. So if you say, I'm a Christian, I believe the gospel. What you're saying is, is that, is that I, I'm one of, I'm a forgiveness person. That's what you're saying. You're saying, you know what? I live my life based on the fact that I do not deserve forgiveness. But because Jesus died on the cross for me, I'm forgiven. I'm going to sing. I'm going to dance. I'm going to pray. So you, you, you're, you're saying, I'm, a, I'm in the forgiveness camp. And if someone hurts you, and you're like, wow, I can't believe they did that. And you hold on to it and you nurse it. And you, and you, the thing you're doing there is that what you're doing is you're living so out of kilter with what you say you believe. You end up throwing a mockery on the cross. Because you say, Jesus, yeah, I recognize I'm a sinner, but really you're saying, but not really because that person, they're a real sinner. It's really what you're saying. Rather than recognizing Jesus, oh, I'm so broken and wounded without you. I'm so selfish and bitter without you. I really am. I'm so full of myself without your help. Oh, my goodness. And you see what you're doing and you come back to the cross and you say, Lord, forgive me. For this last two hours of bitterness. Forgive me that I have got myself so worked up over someone looking at me in the wrong way. Have mercy on me and my self-importance. That's the right kind of prayer. That's a gospel prayer. And it closes the door on the darkness. Closes the door.
God's peace is restored and you're able to seek God's wisdom on what should I do about this? But it's no longer dominating the horizon. That's, that's what God wants for us to be able to, to be able to live in that kind of freedom, which we enjoy singing about. So I'm going to just end now with uh, a couple of principles for, from, from the gospel in terms of handling anger. The Bible says that in the fullness of time, God sent his son. We've got generations of nastiness and things going on, but there's a plan and God sticks to it. And at the, just at the right time, he sends his son. Now God's going to deal with sin. There's something about um, being able to say, Lord, I'm this thing is making me angry, either in a righteous way or potentially in a, in a different kind of, and I don't know what to do about it, but you know what? I'm not going to just impulsively do what I do. In the fullness of time, I want to do the right thing. You're, you're modeling your activity on the gospel. Lord, what's, what's, what are you doing now? What do I, and we've got to, we've really got to grapple with this because there will be, once you become a Christian, you're born again, Holy Spirit lives in you. There's things that suddenly start bothering you, right? They didn't bother you before. And you think, I want to take action. I want to make a difference in the world. That's, that's, that's a sign of new life. But the wisdom is God, what are you saying to me now? What, 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 where are we at with this? It might be God says, just for now, make it a matter of prayer. And then over time, I'll bring some people around you. Maybe you can start a gospel community or just some, some kind of work into this area. But, but God brings it together, but in the fullness of time. So we learn to mature and, be, and grow in it and, and carry God's heart, but not always impulsively. Duh, duh, duh. And we never actually build anything. We're just reacting to things constantly in the fullness of time. Secondly, to make sure that there's in, 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 in any kind of anger, you're looking at the end game. I'm looking for a goal of peaceful reconciliation. I'm looking for restoration. I'm looking for things to be done good for. So be able to help get God's help in terms of, Lord, show me what, what is your heart for the situation. This situation's awful and I really want to do something about it. But, but rather than just jumping in, what, what could it look like? What, what's in your heart for this? And then that way you can go, you can go for the thing and it's not simply driven by the negative, but you're, you've got something in mind that you want to go for. It's a very different thing. I mean, it's, you know, when South Africa went through the, I think it was 1995 and apartheid was, was abolished, people were expecting a bloodbath. They really were. If you, if you're a little bit younger than me, you probably won't realize people were expecting there is going to be a bloodbath because of the understandably simmering anger that is just bubbling away here. There's, it's going to, it's going to be really, really chaotic. It's going to go totally out of hand. But one man came through with a vision for something better. And by the grace of God, he was able to paint a picture of a rainbow nation that caught the imagination of a generation who were willing to go, okay. And it's not been easy, and there's been lots of ups and downs, but this vision of what could be has meant that it's not simply been destructive anger, but they've been able to get out this cancer and start working towards something that could be better. So God, give us a vision. Give us a vision for what might be. Penultimately, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together in our salvation. We don't do this in isolation. We say, God, help me. I want to I learn how to grow in righteous anger, but I want to do it in community. I want to be talking and praying with others about this. We learn to carry God's heart well. Running partners, prayer partners, Lord, Lord, 
we, 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 we walk together in it. Otherwise, if you're in, in isolation, your perspectives can be so skewed. Just feel as I'm saying this, the Holy Spirit showing me that for some of you, there's anger, but it's about really, really painful things you've never even spoken about. And the thought of bringing that one out is just like, what? All I can say is, is that there are certain things that happen in life that the solution is never going to be easy. But there's always one solution that's better than the other. And so even though the thought of bringing something out into the, into the light that's just really, you know, deep in your soul and painful may be like scary, I would just say this. Yes, it may well be. It may well be indeed. But to keep that there is not a good move because nasty things grow in the dark. Yeah, nasty things grow in the dark. So get it out. And he's, he's a great healer. He's a great, he loves to bind up the broken hide. He's a great healer. And then finally, I'll just say this, is that one of the things we need to learn to do as Christians is to absorb pain. Because we follow the one who absorbed pain in an ultimate sense. So we need to learn to absorb pain. The Christian journey has its fair share of pain. It just does. Confusing things, disappointing things, things we don't quite know why that happened, su surprising things. Sometimes you feel stabbed in the back, let down, betrayed. Yeah, these things happen, part of the Christian journey, as well as part of normal life. And we have to learn to be able to absorb it. And I don't mean sort of hold on to it in an unhealthy way. Hopefully you've heard the rest of the sermon, so I haven't got to preach the whole thing again. But you, you, you're not someone who cannot absorb pain. So we have this little saying in our house where, where we want to learn to become people that are, that are kind of like thick-skinned but soft-hearted. Not oversensitive, thin-skinned, but hard-hearted. So we want to be those who become robust so we can take the hits. You take the hit? Okay, so hit. Most of the time, no one meant it, but it hurt. But most of the time, no one meant it. Sometimes they do, and it hurts more, but okay, hurt. And you come to the one who knows about pain, and you just know that he's sharing your heart in it, and it's all cool, and it's manageable, because you're with Jesus, and you keep your heart open to people. And you can only learn that by walking through it. But it's part of what we do. It's part of what we are. And Jesus shows us how to. Amen. So here we go. Be angry. But do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let us stand. The band would like to come back up. Some of you may need to do some business in a kind of unusually... Uh, pertinent way today because you know this has hit this has hit a bit of a nerve for you and there's some stuff to do well a perfect time to do that is when we're taking bread and wine during these songs go with a friend running partner people from your gc family just go with them and say can we just pray here and it doesn't it's not that everything gets solved in the moment but it's about it's about sometimes just saying lord I just want to acknowledge something things were said today and i want to go on that journey towards healthy expression of righteous anger, towards uh, guarding my heart from wrong kind of anger, you know, whatever it is. Um, so let's, let's make sure we're applying the word, yeah? Because it's in the doing 
that the transformation takes place. It's in the doing that actually we, we find, oh, I'm changing because we're actually taking steps, we're engaging with it rather than just saying, great sermon, I'm really blessed. Blessed are you if you do these things, Jesus said. So, uh, Lord, we just commit ourselves to you. We are, we recognize, Lord, that, um, we are jars of clay, Lord. Uh, we are, we are not, uh, in and of ourselves, impressive people. Lord, we're very normal people, um, facing very normal things that everyone faces in life. Uh, but Lord, we say we want to learn how to respond in a, in a way that looks like the new creation. We want to learn to respond in a way that looks like Jesus. And, uh, I just want to pray for the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit on us as we sing and break bread that, it would just be a sense of your tender mercy in the room, ministering healing, ministering forgiveness, ministering fresh grace and hope. Lord, I just pray and speak light and life over us. And we say, Lord, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We just declare that in this place. I declare over every, every bitter wound, every festering spiritual sore, everything that's kind of sits there and threatens to rob life. I just declare the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And we declare Jesus does reign over all. And as we bring these things to you, Jesus, we thank you that your light, your light wins and your life wins. Amen. Amen. Please do feel free to use this space. We're going to sing to the Lord.